Evening, brothers and sisters, please do have a seat. And can you please turn with me to our epistle reading, uh, Ephesians chapter 4 on page 1165. Page 1165 of your church Bibles. Page 1165, Ephesians 4. And when you've got that, can I also ask if you don't mind to open up the middle page of your white bulletin. All right, the white bulletin that you received as you came in, the center page uh, has got a sermon outline and one of the cross-references that we're going to use. So it'll be helpful to have that as well so you can see where we're going. Uh, so the center page, that's page 8 and 9 of the white bulletin uh, and then page 1165 of the Bible's page, uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Have we all got that? Okay, let me lead us in prayer uh, and we'll begin. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us by your Spirit through your Word. I thank you that you've been speaking to us as your Word was read and sung. Uh, and we pray now, Father, that um, uh, as we come to consider this passage, that your Spirit would again uh, be at work. Uh, that he will enable me to preach your word rightly and faithfully and in his power. Uh, and may he work in each of our hearts that we might indeed live uh, lives worthy uh, of the calling to which you have called us. And so we commit uh, this time to you, Father, asking for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I once heard a story about Queen Victoria uh, from when she was a child. I don't know if the story is true or not. I'm guessing it's not, but it's still a good story. Anyway, uh, the story goes that she was actually a very naughty little girl. Uh, until one day, her governess sat her down and explained to her who she was and said, one day you are going to be the Queen of England. And she thought for a little while and she said, in that case, I will be good. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul has told the Ephesian Christians and the Spirit has told us many things about who we are. Uh, he's told us that God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. God has chosen us before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. He has redeemed us by the blood of His Son. He's forgiven our sins through the death of Jesus on the cross on our behalf. He has adopted us to be His children. He has given us a place with Him in glory that went beyond our wildest dreams. And He has told us His plan to bring everything together under Christ. He has called us to a great hope in our inheritance. And He has worked His mighty power in us who believe. When we were dead in our sins, He has made us alive in Christ. And not only alive in Christ, but He has seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. He has united us with Christ and therefore to each other, giving us a unity that even that huge Jew-Gentile divide uh, cannot affect. He is making us His temple, building us step by step together uh, as His people into a holy building for God to dwell in by His Spirit. And as the church, He has made us to be a visible demonstration to all the spiritual beings as to how wise and great God is. All that is far better, actually, than being the Queen of England. And because of all this, 
Paul says from his prison cell in verse 1 of chapter 4, I therefore, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Because of all that, now, live a life that's worthy. Now, when he talks about living a life worthy of the calling, it doesn't mean that we can make ourselves deserve it. He's told us back in chapter 2 that we were saved by grace. It is due to God's overwhelming generosity to the undeserving. But what Paul is urging us to do is to live consistent with the calling that we've received. In other words, he's saying, be who you are. You are God's people, live in God's way. You are children of God, show the family likeness. You are holy and blameless in God's sight. Live holy and blameless lives. You are one in Christ. Express that unity in the church as well. Be who you are. And so over the next few weeks, in the second half of the letter, we're going to see many things about how we should live as God's people. We start, though, by looking at our role in the church, the body of Christ, because we live out this calling not just as individuals, but in the community of God's people. And one of the big things we're called to do is to preserve the unity of that community. And so our characters will express are meant to express the kind of qualities that will foster that unity. He's the kind of person God calls us to be. He tells us in verse 2, uh, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which we received with all humility. We are to be humble, not to be arrogant in any way. And so in our life together, we must not think of ourselves as, as being higher uh, than, than, than others among us. We must always put each other's interests above our own. There should certainly be no ego trips and no status consciousness among us. And rather, we should actually consider each other worthy of greater respect than ourselves. And then Paul tells us in verse 2 again, to, 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 to walk with all gentleness, to be gentle with each other, not harsh. We are to be courteous and polite in the way we speak to each other. We won't raise our voices and scold each other, whether it be in person or by email, WhatsApp, on Facebook or Instagram. We'll do it, verse 2, with patience. We'll keep on being patient. We'll keep on acting with patience, even, even when we don't feel like it. We'll have a long fuse, not a short one, as we deal with each other's mistakes and shortcomings. We will, at the end of verse 2, bear with one another in love. That is, we'll put up with each other, even when some of us are annoying, and we'll do so, and some of us are not only annoying, but some of us actually fail to do some of those things that we just talked about before. Right? And we'll try and do so without keep on talking about each other behind our backs, because right? we want to do it in love. We'll keep giving each other the benefit of the doubt. We'll always try to assume the best of each other, not the worst. If there are different ways of interpreting each other's actions and intentions, well, choose the good one, not the bad one. We'll make every effort 
to take to heart the fact that the Spirit has made us one and so reflect that unity in our lives by being at peace with one another. For we will, in verse 3, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Another context is telling us that it's not about being united with people who teach false doctrine. Right? There may be times when we have to exclude false teachers who will lead others to hell, but it's, it's never right to divide a church because of personal issues. Brothers and sisters, in any church, including this one, there will be times when we are tempted to fight for our own importance and ego. There will be times when we misunderstand each other and hurt each other. Brothers and sisters, be determined, be very determined to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And that unity that we have actually is already there. Now, verse 4 to 6. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Actually, we are one. That is the spiritual reality. So what he's saying is, maintain that unity in practice, in humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with each other in love. Be who you are. But the fact that we are one doesn't mean that we're all the same. Uh, we have different roles to play. Uh, in the body. Verse 7 says, Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says in verse 8, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, what's going on here? Well, this is alluding to Psalm 68, uh, which we sang uh, in our psalm earlier on. It's a psalm of David. Uh, and in Psalm 68, God is poetically pictured as coming to Zion. Zion's a mountain in Jerusalem uh, where the temple was going to be built. Remember, it's the Psalm of David. Temple not, kept, not yet built yet, right? But it's going to be built there. And so it's looking forward to that. And here's a picture of God coming to the temple. And he's pictured as a victorious warrior with all his captives and gifts for the future temple that he's received from the rebellious enemies that he's crushed. So he's crushed all these rebellious enemies, right? he's taken captives, he's taken gifts, and now in the whole train there, he's coming up to, his, to that mountain where the temple is going to be. And so in Psalm 68, you see it on the outline, when you ascended on high, you took many captives, you received gifts from people, even from the rebellious, that you, Lord God, might dwell there. Now, Paul applies this imagery to the risen Jesus in Ephesians 4. Jesus, he says in verse 9, descended from heaven to earth and he has now ascended in verse 10 far above all the heavens that he might fill all things in other words like Yahweh of old he is the victorious one he is the mighty conqueror and so the ascent of Yahweh God to his temple site uh, which is poetically celebrated in Psalm 68 is fulfilled in reality with the ascension of Jesus into heaven but remember the gifts that Yahweh received in Psalm 68 are for that temple and remember earlier we saw that we, God's people together, are being built into His temple. And so the gifts that God receives from the temple when He ascends, well, they correspond to the gifts that Jesus receives for building His temple. That's, that's us together. And He gives those gifts to His church. 
And what are those gifts in verse 11? He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. In other words, God, Jesus takes these rebellious people who have repented. He has captured them and they've repented. They've offered themselves to him. And what does he do? He makes them gifts to his church. That is what the conquering king has done for his temple. And so he captures these apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherd teachers, and he gives them to the church. For what? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. The saints, that's Aslah, God's holy people. And so these people, especially gifted in this word ministry, they are captured, they are given by Christ to the church to enable us all to do the work of ministry. Now, Gordon pointed out a few weeks ago, the word ministry means service. All of us are involved in serving. Right? Sometimes people think ministry is just the role of the pastoral team. Well, it is, but it's not just the role. It's, it's all of us, isn't it? Because we are all involved in that work of ministry. And our ministry, verse 12, is to build up the body of Christ. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to build up the body. Right? We all serve in different ways. There's speaking ministry, and there is doing ministry, right? But all of us work together, all of us have a part to play in building up the body. So if you're not involved in, in ministry in any way, then actually the body of Christ missing out lah, on your contribution. So the apostles and prophets, they did their job in laying the foundation of the church. Uh, Ephesians 2.20 tells that the church, this, this is, in fact, this, 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 um, uh, this temple is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Uh, and we get the benefit of their ministry uh, through the apostolic writings in the New Testament. We have evangelists, those who are specially gifted in evangelism. Right? Not only they proclaim the gospel, but they train, they equip us, uh, the rest of us, to do it as well. Uh, they teach us how to do it. Uh, they might write books or write articles that we can take and we give to people. All right? We can forward their, their website things. Or, or they produce things like Christianity Explored that we can invite our friends to come along and benefit from. Uh, the pastor teachers, they look after us, they serve us, they feed us with the word of God, nurture us, train us, correct us. Why? So that we can also do other, help other people. Right, they're seeking to equip us so that we can serve others. We can all do ministry. Um, doing ministry, that's just part of, uh, of living a life worthy of the calling that we've received. And all of us are involved. So, okay, we're seeking to build a body. We're all trying to do that. Right? But you've got to know what we're trying to do. Right? Where are we building towards? What's the goal? Well, we're in 3B now, the goals of growth. Uh, and uh, the passage also tells us that. The first thing we're building towards is unity. First half of verse 13, it says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Right? So this is not just a, any kind of unity. Like, you know, I like you, you like me, we're united, or just agree with each other. It's not a unity that says doctrine is not important. It's not a unity that says obedience to the gospel and God's word is not important. No, no, no. No, this is a unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. In other words, it's a Christ-based unity. It is a Christ-centered unity. It is a unity in the gospel. So as we serve, what are we trying to do? We're trying to build a unity that is based on Christ and His gospel. A community of God's people united in the gospel. That's what we're trying to achieve. The second thing we're trying to build towards is maturity. You look at the second half. Oh, sorry, the second half of verse 13. 
uh, until we attain, uh, sorry, to, to mature manhood, it says. Maturity, all right? Two things about that maturity. First thing, maturity looks like what? It looks like, you keep on reading, it says, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That, that's what maturity is, Christ-likeness. We have to become more and more like Christ in our character, not just individually, but together as God's people. Uh, and so our corporate character, uh, and not just our individual character, is to become more and more like Christ. But it's not just maturity. Uh, maturity is not just Christ-likeness. It's also, uh, in verse 14, stability. Uh, verse 14, though we no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, but human cunning by craftiness in deceitful schemes. That is, if we mature together in faith and knowledge, then we won't be like, we won't be gullible, right? We won't fall for it every time a false teacher comes through town or holds a big rally or looks very impressive. We'll be tossed to and fro following every trendy teaching, every doctrine, every religious fad and fashion that take us all over the place. No, 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 no. Right, we will have a steadiness, a stability that is based on deep roots in the Word of God. So what are we working towards as we serve? Okay, number one, unity in Christ and the Gospel. And number two, maturity, Christ-likeness in character, stability in doctrine. So that's what we're aiming for in our, as we seek to grow. Now, how is the growth going to come? Right, what's what? What's the engine for growth? How's the body? What's the means, as it says in, the, in, uh, in, in 3C, the means of growth? And the answer is verse 15. It says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. What's the means? It is speaking the truth in love. Whatever ministry we are in, actually we know that is the call. That is the thing that is going to grow the church. Speaking the truth in love. Right? Now, it's not just any old truth, right? Saying it's getting dark slowly outside, and by the time the service is finished, it will be dark. That's true. That's not going to build the body, lah, right? Um, the truth they're talking about here is the truth of God's Word, uh, the truth of God's Word. As we build relationships of love, uh, and that's the context, and in the context of relationships of love, we speak the truth. And in the end, that is what builds the body, God's Word in the context of love, truth and love. Whether we are speaking to non-Christians, whether we're speaking to new believers, whether we're speaking to people who have been Christian for 50 years, speaking the truth in love, that is what builds up the church. So when I said before, there are many different kinds of ministries. Some are speaking, some are doing. What I'm not saying is that if you speak, no need to do. And if you do, then no need to speak. Right? Actually, all of us speak, all of us do, right? Now, we might spend different time and energy and concentration on different things, right? Some of us spend a whole lot of time building infrastructure. Why? Because we know that having a good and strong infrastructure gives a framework for everyone else to be speaking the truth in love. That's important. Infrastructure is important. Uh, but it's the truth in love that's going to build the body. And all of us, actually to some degree or other, will be personally involved in that. You may say, no, 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 not me, not me. My ministry, count the money, all right? That's all. No. No, 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 no. I don't know how to speak. Actually, you do. Let me ask you. Can you sing the hymns? All right? Now, I'm not asking if you can sing well, huh? Okay? But can you sing along? All right? Because if you do, 
and the hymns are well chosen and they communicate the gospel and they encourage God's people and you sing to encourage your brothers and sisters, you know what you're doing? You're speaking the truth in love to build up the body, aren't you? Can you say the creed with conviction and enthusiasm to encourage your brothers and sisters that this is what we believe? Well, if you can, then you're speaking the truth in love to build up the body. You see, actually all of us, all of us will do some of that. Okay, all of us have different roles to play, but all of us are going to spend some of that time speaking the truth in love. So we've talked about the, the goals of growth, the means of growth. The, well, let's look at the source of growth. Uh, verse 16 tells us that Christ is a source of growth. The end of verse 15 is talking about growing, to every, growing in every way into the head, into Christ. Right? And the end of verse 16 says that is what makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. If we cut ourselves out from Christ, if we wander in a different direction, if we fail to keep Him and what He has done for us central, then we will not grow to maturity in Christ. Maybe we can still grow in numbers, right? But that's a different thing, isn't it? But it is possible to build a very large church with big numbers and actually be cut off from the head. Well, you just preach a false gospel, tell people what they want to hear, and you can get people, but Real spiritual growth actually ultimately comes from Jesus, from Christ Jesus. And as people speak the truth, the truth of his gospel, in the love that flows from him, ah, then you get the real growth. Verse 16 reminds us, though, who the agents of growth are. And it's every one of us. Each one of us has a role to play. The body builds itself, uh, sorry, the whole body jointly held together by every joint with which it's equipped when each part is working properly, builds itself up in love, right? Each part does its work. Each part has to work properly. Right? And different ones of us, again, we have different roles, right? Some of it's formal, being on some committee, right? Or in some ministry team like the, like the ushers and welcomers. Uh, for others, it's informal. I like the people who just spontaneously help clear the bulletins and Bibles after church. And they say, okay, let me put it away, put it away. Okay. Or you, people look for people who are grieving and just support them. Uh, or praying for those who are going through tough times. Uh, uh, some of it's primarily doing. Uh, sometimes it's primarily praying. There, there are people who, uh, because of their health or their situation, they can't run around and do things, but, but they can sit at home and pray. Uh, that's paying a part as well, isn't it? Uh, sometimes it's public, like, like singing in the choir, uh, or, or leading the prayers, or, or doing a Bible reading. Uh, for others, it's private, uh, quietly helping those in need, uh, giving generously to the ministry workers' fund, uh, organizing an event from behind the scenes, and nobody knows who you are. Uh, sometimes it's people stuff, like following up new Christians, uh, engaging with your small group, or, or welcoming newcomers. Other times it's behind a computer, or behind the wheel of a car or van, or, or under the stack of chairs that you're helping to, 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 to set up. Whatever we do, we are doing it so that the truth of the gospel can be spoken in the context of love, and the body can grow into the head. So, what have we seen today, sisters and brothers? We are all involved in building the body. Now, doing ministry is simply part of, of living a life that's worthy of our calling. And what kind of ministry we'll do, well, depends on all kinds of things. 
It depends on the abilities God has given us, depends on the opportunities open to us, depends on the needs of the church, depends on the kind of training that's available, uh, it depends on our circumstances in life. But whatever kind of things that we do, the important thing is that we are God's people. We are God's people. Preserve the unity of the body. Play your part to make it grow. Be who you are. Live a life worthy of the calling which you have received. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for saving us, for loving us, for uh, giving your son for us, for giving us your spirit, adopting us as your children, bringing us from darkness to light. Uh, from death to life. Uh, thank you so much for your work for us and in us. Uh, Father, we know that this is a, a wonderful work of your grace, uh, and we know we're not, not, not deserving, but we ask that you please help us to, in response to live a life uh, that's consistent, that reflects that, that's worthy of that calling we've received. Uh, Father, please help us to love one another, to preserve the unity uh, of your church. Um, and we pray that you help us um, as we seek to, to, to uh, each play our own part uh, in building up the body um, so that uh, you are glorified uh, as we are united in the gospel, as we grow together to maturity in Christ, becoming more like him uh, and, uh, and hold fast to him. So we commit this to you and we ask, Lord, that you be at work uh, in us and through us. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.